You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, February 16th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, we continue our observation of Black History Month. Julia Jem introduces us to the Sanks family, which arrived in Nevada County in the 1800s. Chasey Sanks and her husband and brother rose from enslavement in the South to pave the way for opportunity for African Americans all over the state. The California Report has a roundup of proposals that could make life easier for jurors, tenants, and frustrated smartphone owners. We end with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. A pilot program in the Bay Area that pays people to serve on juries could go statewide. San Francisco Assemblyman Phil Ting has introduced a bill that proposes $100 a day payments to low and moderate income people to sit on juries in criminal cases. Ting says the aim is to diversify jury pools. If we want our criminal justice system to work, if we want jury trials to work, we need to make sure not just that some Californians can participate, but that every single Californian who wants to, who qualifies, is able to, has the opportunity to participate. Many potential jurors claim financial hardship and are excused from serving because their employers don't compensate them for jury duty. The current stipend for jurors is set at $15 a day. In eviction court, most landlords have an attorney, but tenants usually don't. The San Jose Mercury News reports that during a six-month period last year, only about 7% of tenants in Contra Costa County had legal representation. And in Los Angeles, an estimated 97% of tenants aren't represented by lawyers in eviction court. Now, some L.A. City Council members want to change that. LAist reporter David Wagner has the story. For years, L.A. tenant groups have pushed for a right to free legal representation in eviction court. The question has always been how to pay for it. City Council Member Nithya Raman says the answer came with Measure ULA, the new tax on top dollar real estate sales approved by the city's voters in November. That's why we're able to get this kind of support behind it, because people now know where the funding is going to be coming from. Raman and five other council members are asking the city's housing department to start planning for a right to counsel program. Many details remain unclear. Measure ULA isn't set to begin until April, and it still needs to survive legal challenges. But advocates say cities like New York and San Francisco have already shown that it's possible to keep most tenants facing eviction housed just by giving them a lawyer. For The California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. In an arraignment hearing yesterday in Shasta County, Pacific Gas and Electric pleaded not guilty in response to multiple felony and misdemeanor charges stemming from the utility's involvement in starting the Zog fire in 2020. The charges include involuntary manslaughter and recklessly starting a fire. Four people died in the Zog fire and more than 200 structures were destroyed. The youngest victim was eight years old. Her grandmother, Susie Bewley, spoke to ABC 10 in Sacramento about the case. An eight-year-old little girl, PG&E, took her life, everything. And I'm angry. And I don't want to see it happen again. The blaze started when a tree fell on PG&E electrical lines. A jury trial is set for June 6th. 
Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. Paint Care, now with 846 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. Who's had this problem? Your laptop or smartphone isn't working, but the idea of repairing it yourself seems nearly impossible because you can't get replacement parts and repair instructions from manufacturers, like, say, Apple. Well, after past attempts to pass it have failed, a right to repair bill has been reintroduced in Sacramento. If passed, it's supposed to make it easier and cheaper to get electronics you own fixed. I talked about the bill with Sander Cushion with the consumer advocacy group CalPerg. We met outside a big box electronics store in Los Angeles. What would this right of repair legislation do for the people of California? For one, it would save consumers money. People are fed up with buying a $1,000 device and having to replace it after a couple of years. So by passing this Right to Repair Act, there would be more opportunities for consumers to get their things fixed instead of buying completely new. How would it do that? So right now, um, because there is a lack of access to parts and tools and the manuals that we need to fix things, um, a lot of manufacturers can keep a sort of monopoly on the repair process. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar going into the Apple store, for example, and being told, oh, your battery's kaput. That's $500. I am aware of that. Yep, yep. So it doesn't have to be that way. If we made, if we passed this law, if we made the parts and tools available, then consumers could fix them themselves. But even more importantly, independent repair shops could do the repairs at a cheaper price. Do you think that monopoly on repair is done on purpose by tech companies? Or is it just kind of their corporate culture thinking people just want to buy the new, bright, shiny new thing anyway instead of repairing what they got? Yeah, I think unfortunately it is intentional in a lot of situations. Um, At the end of the day, they can make more money if they keep repair internal um, or even more so just encourage people to buy new. Um, We also know that a lot of these big companies actively lobby against laws like the Right to Repair Act, um, which shows that they are fighting against a lot of what a lot of consumers want. CalPerg has released this report card uh, ranking different companies and how easy or hard it is for their products to be repaired by outside parties. I notice a very famous California company, Apple, has the lowest grade, a D. Why are they so low? Yeah, Apple received the worst score for both phones and laptops. And it's because, A, their devices are very hard to disassemble, and B, they actively lobby against right-to-repair legislation. So just practically, it is harder, much harder, to make a self-repair on, say, an Apple phone or laptop than it would be, I don't know, a Dell. Yes, yeah, that's one of the main findings from our report. 
That's Sander Cushion of the consumer advocacy group CalPerg, which supports passing right to repair legislation in California. And finally this morning, a congratulations to Emily Besnos. It was reported this week that at just 16, Emily will be the youngest person to ever graduate from UCLA later this year. And Besnos will have earned her bachelor's degree in cognitive science in just two years instead of the usual four. There is no doubt we'll be hearing great things about Emily in the years to come. And that's today's The California Report. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow. In area news, Placer County has opened its mobile temporary shelter in Auburn to serve local unhoused residents, according to a news release at ubinet.com. The shelter in the Placer County Government Center, which opened Tuesday, consists of about 50 heavy-duty tents with cots and basic bedding. It also has showers and restrooms, trash service, drinking water, and picnic tables. Referrals for drug treatment, housing, and other supportive services are available next to the shelter in a county facility that will double as a warming and cooling center during extreme weather. The county said the so-called low-barrier shelter will be governed by a set of simple rules, including a 10 p.m. curfew, a restriction on how much property can be stored inside the tent, and observance of quiet hours. Donations of household items are not being accepted at this time. The site is managed 24-7 by First Step Communities, a nonprofit with experience managing tent shelters in the city of Sacramento. While drug testing is not required, alcohol and drugs will not be allowed on the premises and weapons will be prohibited. The shelter is part of a settlement agreement to resolve claims on behalf of unhoused individuals that alleged property loss during the clearing of encampments on county property last spring. Disease specialists with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife have received confirmation that a bobcat in Butte County died from the avian flu. This is the first detection in a wild mammal in the state of the Eurasian strain of the avian influenza known as HPAI H5N1. The bobcat's remains were collected in December, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture confirmed the detection of avian influenza, according to a news release at ubinet.com. The strain of influenza was first detected in wild birds in California last July. It has been found in wild birds from 44 counties and domestic birds from 18 counties. The Centers for Disease Control considers the transmission risk to humans to be low, but recommends taking protective measures like gloves, masks, and hand washing if contact with wildlife cannot be avoided. The Sacramento Bee reported today that the company that owns the discount home retail chain called Tuesday Morning filed for bankruptcy on, yes, Tuesday. It has announced plans to close all remaining stores in the Sacramento area. The area stores are in Roseville, Citrus Heights, and Folsom. Turning to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service, expect chilly mornings and clear skies through the holiday weekend. Rain and snow are expected to return by the middle of next week. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 33. Friday will be mostly cloudy through mid-morning, then gradual clearing with a high near 57 and a low around 33. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe will be mostly cloudy with a low around 14. Friday will be mostly cloudy, then gradually clearing with a high near 38 and a low around 11. In Sacramento and Woodland, mostly cloudy tonight with a low in the mid-30s and areas of frost. 
Friday, expect early morning frost, otherwise mostly sunny, with a high near 62 with north-northwest wind up to 10 miles per hour. Friday night will be clear and frosty with a low around 32. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Next, we step back in time to the mid-1800s with KVMR's Julia Jim, who introduces us to the Sanks family of Grass Valley. Through their energy and activism, they established businesses, a church, and a school, among other achievements. Along the way, they changed the lives of the African-American community in Nevada County and throughout our state. February is Black History Month, and the KVMR News Department is looking to share stories about the African-American pioneers of Nevada County. I'm Julia Jem. Last week, I and local historian Linda Jack collaboratively told the story of Mary Ann Dorsey, one such pioneer. This week, with Linda's extensive research being my guide, I'll be providing a glimpse at an important local group, the Sanks family, particularly Isaac Sanks and his son, Isaac Jr., Their story begins aboard the steamship Commodore Stockton when the ship's owner, Colonel William F. English, arrived someplace between Newtown and Rough and Ready with three enslaved people, Jacob Thomas, Joseph Thomas, and Casey Sanks, their sister. Members of the Thomas family had been enslaved at the English family's South Carolina plantations for decades. Fortunately, Jacob, Joseph, and Casey seemed to have a favored relationship with English. Before they sailed, he agreed to grant them their freedom after 18 months of labor in California. Enslaved people in California were often able to earn money of their own by working for hire on Sundays. This was apparently also the case with these siblings, given that they were able to pool their earnings and buy the freedom of Casey's husband, Isaac Sanks, who had remained enslaved in Florida. William English died in a gunshot accident on August 27, 1852, and consequently, Jacob, Joseph, Casey, and Isaac seized their newfound freedom. Jacob, the oldest of the siblings, left the state sometime in 1858, joining roughly 800 other black Californians and heading to Vancouver, British Columbia. He was successful in building a life for himself there before returning to Grass Valley in May of 1861, and unfortunately passing of tuberculosis in September. Prior to his death, Jacob wrote a will. He left his house and two vacant town lots to Casey for her lifetime, and then to her children. Isaac worked a number of jobs, while Casey, likely using her inheritance from Jacob, financed mortgages for aspiring buyers in town. She gave birth to two sons. The oldest was Jacob, born in 1855, who passed away at age six. Her second son was Isaac Thomas, born in 1858. Isaac and Casey's home sat on what's presently the corner of Alta and Linden Streets. In 1863, in an article in the Black-owned newspaper The Pacific Appeal, their home was described as follows. The appearance of the house denotes it as the residence of a man of refined taste, whatever may have been his antecedents. Surrounded by fruit trees, flowers, and shrubbery, so tastefully and artistically arranged as to seem almost embedded in a mass of foliage, yet there is nothing out of place nor out of season. A spacious garden in the rear, where vegetables and flowers grow in luxuriance, surround the domain of our humble friend. Joseph also settled in Grass Valley, with a home on Townsend Street. Together, he and Isaac operated an ice cream parlor at Hamilton Hall, which was a relatively major entertainment venue. It was located at the corner of Neal and South Church Streets on the lot where Bank of America now stands. Joseph and Isaac's business was advertised as an alternative to the many nearby saloons. They sold ice cream, tea, coffee, fruits, and lunches served in the finest style, including their specialty, a Florida-style gumbo. 
Hamilton Hall was later destroyed in a fire. As a result of that, Isaac and Joseph moved their business to the opposite side of South Church Street, naming their new location the Little Beauty Coffee House. Isaac and Joseph became highly involved in building the black community, both socially and politically. Most importantly, they focused on civil rights issues, like ending the ban of testimony of black people in court cases, abolishing slavery locally and nationally, securing voting rights for black men, and gaining access to public accommodation and education. One of their first socially motivated acts was the establishment of an African Methodist Episcopal Church, which was erected in the summer of 1854. It had cost $1,400 to construct, which would be nearly $50,000 today. Its trustees were Isaac Sanks, Joseph Thomas, Isaac Bummer, John Hicks, and Henry Blackburn. Weekly advertisements of the church services always welcomed any of Grass Valley's residents to join. The church was well-known locally for its exceptional choir and musical talents, including Isaac Jr., who was also musically talented and would perform later at local events. In March of 1876, Isaac Sanks hosted a visit by the Tennessee Jubilee Singers who he'd invited to Grass Valley. But Sanks' community building didn't stop there. It was well understood by the black community that education was an important key for the advancement of its children. However, public schools weren't open to black children, and even when separate public schools for black children were mandated, they weren't always provided or well-staffed. Many members of the AME congregation were parents who had children that were unable to attend school with the white children in the community. In June of 1864, some of these parents chose to build their own school adjacent to the church. Isaac Sanks initiated a subscription program to help raise the necessary funds. Shortly after this, along with the performance of white children, the union began reporting on academic performance of the black children in subjects like geography, spelling, and reading. Isaac continued to be involved in educational matters following these events. In fact, in 1872, he represented Nevada County at the Educational Convention in Stockton to petition the state legislature for equal opportunity for black children. On January 3rd of 1870, in celebration of the ratification of the 15th Amendment, both black and white citizens of Nevada County planned a gala celebration that was to be held on April 12th in Nevada City. Isaac Sanks was one of the vice presidents of that event. In May, Isaac Sanks and Jacob Sanders were named as likely candidates for marshal or town trustee. The Grass Valley Election Board refused to put the names of black people on local polling lists until certified copies of registration had been received from the county. Isaac Sanks personally went to the clerk's office in Nevada City and obtained proof of the registration, then hand-delivered the information to Grass Valley officials. The board added the names of 15 registered black candidates the week before the election. They had the fewest votes of any of the trustee candidates, but they won the distinction of being the first black candidates in California history. By 1882, Isaac Jr. had taken over the operation of the Little Beauty Coffee House. He was also the local recorder for the Weather Service and took sounding records at some of the lakes in the High Sierras. Twenty years after his father ran for public office, Isaac Jr. did the same. On September 10, 1894, the Republican Party selected their nominees for township offices for the upcoming election. Isaac Jr. was one of the men named for the position of constable. On May 8, 1894, he received 150 votes, and although he didn't secure the position, he was the first black candidate in California to run on a major party ticket. On December 22, 1892, Joseph died at the county hospital in Nevada City, and Isaac and Casey both died peacefully at home on May 8, 1894, and November 6, 1896. Isaac Jr. remained in Grass Valley until his death on May 30, 1908. I'll end here with a quote from Linda Jack. The deaths of Joseph, Isaac, Casey, and Isaac Jr. marked the end of an era. Against all odds, they had lived and thrived through slavery, Reconstruction, and Jim Crow. 
through it all, they had stuck together as a family, improving their own lives and the lives of members of the Black communities locally and in-state through their social and political activism. Their obituaries reflected the affection and support of Blacks and whites alike. For KVMR, I'm Julia Jem. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. My grandmother used to grow rhubarb and peonies on Cape Cod, a landmass with no topsoil whatsoever, just pine needles laid over a bed of sand. How I wish I had paid more attention when I was younger, instead of binge-reading mysteries and working on my tan. Her secret was turkey manure, which she talked someone into delivering every spring from a local farm, and then doled out to flower beds and kitchen garden in a blue wheelbarrow. Between Dorothy L. Sayers and four-mile runs down her dirt road, I hung out the wash and stacked her firewood, but somehow was never handed a trowel. Looking back, I think she liked that work so much she didn't want to share it. She described me to her friends as a city girl, which I was, but I also knew a put-down when I heard one. I know she loved me and relied on me and even liked teaching me things. The logs stacked north-south and then east-west for stability. The bedsheets dried with a minimum of clothespins. Pants hung from their hems so the wet weight would leave them nearly creaseless. She even taught me to be a writer by example, getting up at four in the morning and typing away on her memoir about banding birds. We ate rhubarb, boiled and sweetened, over oatmeal, and watched ants crawl across the peony buds from our twin lounge chairs. She swallowed a mystery now and then, but was more likely to be reading The New Yorker. On a humid day, I can still smell that manure in my mind and hear the chickadees busy in the scrub pines. Born and raised in San Francisco, I still secretly do not believe that plants can grow from seeds. This may be why, every year, I miss the week we're supposed to plant our tomato and pepper seeds, smaller than ants, in little peat pots in the kitchen. I wait until April before catching the gardening bug, and then resort to buying starts, a practice that gets expensive and feels like cheating. This year, I'm hoping to reform. It's February, and I've consulted my self-reliant friends, who are already gathering the potting soil in trays. I'm on the case. With luck, I'll have my very own snap peas in early May and cantaloupe by July. Cross your toes. My grandmother marked her tools with colored electrical tape, blue and red or blue and green, which I inherited. I use her Phillips head screwdriver for indoor jobs, although after 80 years, the prongs are wearing down. Her trowel's hanging by the door inside my shed. I mostly plant barehanded because I like the feel of dirt, but in her honor, I'm going to dig the turkey manure in with that trowel when I top dress my beds. She also swore by bat guano as a fertilizer. I wonder where she learned that and if it's available at my local nursery. You can call me a city girl, but I don't know of any bat farms around here. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. 
This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for Thursday, February 16th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City, fourpawsac.com, and Sierra Timberline, since 1978, offering a wide selection of contemporary to traditional American-made interior and outdoor furniture for the Foothills lifestyle. Open Monday through Saturday, Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley. Online store at sierratimberline.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Friday at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.